And take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to Micah chapter 6. I have the advantage of knowing where I was going, so I've already got it marked in my Bible. It might take you the rest of the message to find it. But Micah chapter 6, it's always good to have Dr. and Mrs. Swangum here, Sarah's parents. By the way, he's a, he's a general doctor, so if you have any questions about anything that's going on, no, I'm kidding. He's a podiatrist. He's a foot doctor. And so uh, if you have problems with your feet, then make sure you ask him. I'm sure he'd be glad to stand around and talk about it for a while afterwards. Micah chapter 6 this morning. And let me give you a little bit of, uh, little bit of background uh, before we read the passage. God sent Micah, and, and along with many other prophets, to, to tell Israel that he was about to pour his wrath out on the nation of Israel. They had moved away from God, and, and it's, it's sad that you see this cycle happening over and over and over with the nation of Israel. They come to God. God blesses them. They start to go after other gods, after other idols. They move farther and farther away. God tells them he's going he's gonna to send judgment. They don't respond. God sends judgment. They go into captivity, and then that whole cycle starts all over again. And here they are in the middle of that cycle again. He had judged them for their sins. And he was, he was going to allow them to be invaded by a nation that was viler than they were. Which, again, that's, that's sad to, to, to have that be the commentary of the nation of Israel because they were God's people. They knew better. They had the law. They had everything that they needed to succeed in God's eyes. But why was that? It was because they had forsaken him and they were worshiping false gods. And so God cannot allow that as his people to go unpunished. But God also doesn't just punish us without giving us warnings first many times. He gives us opportunities. Get right. Get these things. Get your house in order. Get your fellowship back in, 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 uh, in relationship with God. But that led them to be unjust, unmerciful, and proud. And in that condition, they were no longer fulfilling, and they were no longer the witness that God had created them to be. They were supposed to be the ones that were a witness to the rest of the world of the power of God. They were supposed to be the ones that, that were to uh, exemplify what would happen to a nation who followed the Lord. God wanted to bless them. God wanted to give them everything that he had at his disposal, and there were times when he did. But this is not one of those times because they had moved away from him. They had a choice before them, change or be destroyed. They did not believe the message, and they were destroyed. And look what God says here in Micah chapter 6 and verse number 1. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. God's saying, what have I done wrong to you? Tell me what I've done to cause you pain. Tell me what I've done to cause you problems. Testify unto me. Tell me. It's a rhetorical question because he knew there was nothing that they could answer. He had been nothing but good to them. Verse number four, he starts to tell them those things. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed thee out of the house of, of servants. I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O oh, my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? This is Micah answering God now. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. 
And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. All the prophets said the same thing. You can have God's blessing if you'll do it God's way. You can have God's blessings if you'll do it right. Or you can have your judgment if you don't do it right. If you don't do it God's way, it's up to you. They gave them that choice. Every one of the prophets that we see in the Old Testament gave the choice to Israel. Serve God and follow him and have the blessings of God. Reject God, turn away from him, and find that God's not going to give you blessings. In fact, he's going to give you cursings. And here in Micah's day, the people were convinced of their guilt before God. They were willing to try just about anything except their, their sins. They were willing to part with, with all of these other things. Should, should we give mountains of gold? Should we give rivers of oil? Should we give our firstborn to be burned? Or tell us what we need to do. We'll, we'll do it. And God is telling them, get rid of your sin. And they say, well, that's a little bit too much that you're asking of us. Get rid of our sin. Now, we'll give our firstborns to be burned. We'll give rivers of oil. We'll give mountains of gold and all this stuff. But depart from our sins? That's asking a little bit much. Matthew Henry says this, those that aren't thoroughly, those that are, excuse me, thoroughly convinced of sin, of the malignity of it, and of their misery and danger by reason of it would give all the world if they had it for peace and pardon. The things that the nation of Israel was offering were very valuable things, uh, but they were offering something that couldn't do anything to win them back to God. He didn't want their stuff. He didn't want their things. He wanted their hearts. God tells him very plainly what he demands, what he insists upon from those that would be accepted of him. They were trying to buy the pardon of sin and favor and uh, in all of these things of God, but those things cannot be bought. You cannot buy God's favor. It's not, it's not about works. It's not about the good that we do. It's not about all of those things. Micah makes the statement that God had already shown them what they needed to do. They're asking all these questions, and, God, and, and Micah is saying there in verse 8, he's already showed you, oh man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee? And he's asking it as a rhetorical question, but that's exactly what he's saying. God's already given you what you need to do. He doesn't need all of that stuff. He needs you. It's God himself that has shown us what we have to do. We don't need to, to trouble ourselves with all these other proposals and everything else. The terms are already settled. They're already laid down. The one that we've offended. The one that we are accountable to. He's told us the conditions that we need to come to to be reconciled to him. And notice this, it's, it's, it's to the man that he has shown. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm saying this in a general term to mankind. He's not saying, he didn't say, uh, uh, he has showed thee, O Israel, what is good. He says what? He has showed thee, O man, what is good. The way we respond to what he's telling us determines not only our future happiness, but our present happiness. And Psalm 19 and verse 11 reminds us that in keeping God's commandments, there's great reward. So we have a choice. This, the same choice that was put to Israel is the same choice that's being put to us. So if there's so much riding on our response to what God says he expects of us, then we have to be certain we know what it is that God is expecting of us. So this morning, I want to answer the question that Micah proposes, what doth the Lord require of thee? What doth the Lord require of thee? Let's pray. We'll look at a few things here in this passage this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to open your word. I pray that it would be beneficial and helpful for us this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts and that we'd respond to the message that's given this morning. Well, thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. 
Amen. This is not going to be an earth-shattering, the, the points are not going to be earth-shattering points this morning. They're already given to us right there. And so what does the Lord require of thee? Well, number one is to do justly. To do justly means to treat people right. It means to give everyone their due. Turn over to Luke chapter 10. We often get hung up with the idea of doing good because doing good alone cannot get us to heaven. Right? There's, there's a lot of people in a lot of different religions who are trusting in their doing good to get them to heaven. Well, I've, I give money to the church, or I give money to the poor, or I've been baptized, or I've done this, or I've done that thing, and, and, and so I'm, I expect that I'll get to heaven, I hope I'll get to heaven, maybe someday I'll make it there, and, and so we reject that idea, and sometimes we reject that idea so strongly that we forget that doing good is actually a good thing to do, right? The Bible says that Jesus Christ himself went about doing good, so it's not, it's, it's not like it's wrong to do good because good does not get you into heaven. But we overlook that sometimes. That, mean, that doesn't mean we shouldn't do our best to do, to do justly to others and to do good to others. But it also means to give to all their due. And I think, first of all, we should give God his due. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our strength, our will, everything that we have, our spirits, they all belong to God. We should give those back to him for use in his service. And we see that in Luke chapter 10 and verse number 27. He answering said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. By the way, he could have stopped right there. He could have said, love God with all your heart. Right? He says that in Jeremiah 29, seek me with all your heart. Right? He could have stopped right there. But he goes on because sometimes we don't get the point. We say, okay, God has all my heart. But he says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy strength and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. That's God's due. We owe it to him. We sang that song this morning. And I owe it all to you, Lord. All I have is yours, Lord. Take my life. Make me what you'd have me be. But then we say, well, that part's mine. That part's mine. That part's mine. Uh, this one's mine. Okay, you, actually, yeah, really, it's not that much. But here, it's yours. That's what we do so often with our lives. He says, I want your heart, I want your mind, I want your strength, I want it all, it belongs to me. And we owe it to him. That is the due that we give, that, that we owe to God. He's given us everything that we have. We owe it to him for creating us, we owe it to him for sending his son to die for us, we owe it to him for sustaining us. Were it not for him, where would we be? Paul said it best, but for the grace of God, there go I. That's the way we are in our lives. If it wasn't for him, where would we be? We owe it to him to give our love and our, love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind and all of our strength. But we should give others their due as well, and that just means treating people right. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7 because I'm sure you remember growing up the golden rule. And the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's not exactly the way that it was written in the Sermon on the Mount, but that idea is there, and we find it in Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 12. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Essentially, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Treat people the way that you want to be treated. You ought to love your spouse and treat them right. You ought to love your kids and treat them right. You ought to love your children enough to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You ought to respect your parents and treat them right. You ought to treat your neighbors kindly and with respect. You ought to have respect for and obey the authorities that God's placed in your life. You ought to be kind and helpful to the poor. You should never wish ill on anyone. That's, that's not the spirit and the mind of Christ, and it ought not to be our mindset either. 
We ought to give God his due. We ought to give others their due. But I think we ought to give ourselves our due too. Now, I don't mean that in, a, you know, in the me first sort of way that a lot of the world is moving in today. So many people sell themselves short of what God wants to do with their lives. So many people think, well, God could never use me in that way. God can never do that with me. God can never use me to win souls. God can never use me to bring a revival. God can never use me to serve in the ministry. God can never use me to fill in the blank. And we sell ourselves short of what God really wants to accomplish through our lives. So many people sell, them short of what, uh, sell themselves short of what God wants because they're so busy living their life in their own way. Well, this is what makes me happy. This is what pleases me. This is what I want to do with my life. And they sell themselves short of what truly a blessing they could have in their life if they would just do it the way that God wants them to do it. Do you realize that God has so many blessings in store for your life? The Bible says that, that, that God wants to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive it. Is there anybody in here this morning that is begging God to stop blessing them because there's so much? God, please, I can't handle anymore. Stop blessing me. You're giving me way too much. Don't do any more. That's what he's saying. He wants to open up the windows of heaven to the point that there's not even enough room to receive it. That's what God has on the shelf for us. And so many people leave it on the shelf instead of actually having those blessings of God because we're trying to do it the way we want to do it instead of doing it the way he wants us to do it. And we sell ourselves short of what God really could do in our lives and sell ourselves short of the way that God really could use us in our lives. What a, what a sad thing that is. What a sad commentary. And by the way, opening up the windows of heaven and pouring you out a blessing does not necessarily refer to money. You're not going to be a millionaire because you live for God. You're not going to have all the money you could ever dream of. You're not going to have the big house and the fancy car and all of those other things. There's a whole lot more blessings that we have. Listen, how many people that have multi, multi millions of dollars and have houses in, in multiple states and countries and have any kind of car they want to drive would give it all to have their health back, would give it all to have one of their children back, would give it all to have their wife back, would give it all to have their family together. They'd give everything. It's not necessarily the blessings of God that come in these monetary forms. And, well, I'm just going to name it and claim it. And if I need a million dollars, then God will give it. I believe that God could. If we needed it, he could give it to us. And we might when it comes to a building. And God can give it to us. But it's not necessarily just the monetary blessings of God that we're after. Well, I'm thankful. I don't, I don't have a lot of money, but I've got a wife and kids, and we're all together. And we have, we have a great family. And I have, I have health, and I'm thankful for all of those things that God blesses in a whole lot of ways besides just giving us money. But we, we get so narrowly focused on all of those things so many times. Don't sell yourself short of what God wants for your life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and you can turn over there if you want to, verse number 27. But I think Paul, obviously, uh, he was a tent maker. I don't think he made millions of dollars. Uh, Paul lived kind of from, if you will, paycheck to paycheck. I mean, how many times do you see him going to these churches and they're collecting money for him to give him some money to send him on to the next church? So Paul obviously didn't have uh, millions and millions of dollars. But Paul understood this principle. It's not all about that. It's about, it's about being used by God in the way that God wants to use you. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, 
And God had chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. Years ago in New Jersey, there was a man who, who advertised that he was going to play a concert on an extremely valuable violin. And so people came from all over to hear him play, and he tucked that violin under his chin, and he started playing beautiful music and just, just doing things with a violin that, that most people could only dream would be possible with a violin. And you could hear the laughter of the children as he played. You could hear the songs of the birds in the trees. You could, you could hear the babies cooing because his music was just so beautiful. And he played a few songs, and before anybody realized what happened, he pulled that violin out from under his chin, and he smashed it over his knee. And everybody was just in shock. They were in awe. Oh, why would you do that to this fancy violin? And he walked over to a case that was sitting there on the side, and he opened it up, and he pulled out the real violin. He said, what I've been playing on is a violin that I picked up at a cheap yard sale for just a couple dollars. He said, it's not the violin that makes the music. It's the one who draws the bow. And that's exactly the way that it is in our lives with God and the way that he wants to use us. Well, you may not be talented by the world's standpoint. You may not be uh, uh, wealthy by the world's standpoint. You may not be good looking or whatever else by the world's standpoint, but that has nothing to do with it. God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God uses the things that are weak to, to bring down those that are mighty. And it's not you that's doing it. It's the one that draws the bow. God is the one that has to do it through us. To the world, you may just be some cheap fiddle, but God is the one who can make that music out of your life. God uses common people. God can use me. God can use you, and he wants to. Do justly to yourself. Don't sell yourself short of what God wants to do with your life. God requires us to do justly, but also he requires us to love mercy. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Adam Clark is another commentator. He says this, thou art to love mercy, not only to do what justice requires, but also what mercy, kindness, benevolence, and charity require. Mercy, as a definition, if you will, is not getting what I deserve. I deserve hell. I deserve to not have a good life. I deserve to have all those things, and yet God in his mercy gave me a way out of hell. He gave me a good life. He gives me all the things that I have. To do justly is good. It must be done, but that's on the outside. To love mercy goes to the heart. I want to remind you that your salvation was by mercy. Titus chapter 3 there in verse number 5 says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Had it not been for the mercy of God, you would not be able to be saved. God gives us that salvation. And it's, it's not doing justly that gives us that salvation. It's not all the good things that we can do on the outside. It's not loving God and, and loving people and loving ourselves and all of those other things that, that gives us that mercy. It's only God that gives us that mercy. And it's only through his mercy that we're able to accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. Do not despise God's mercy. Turn over to Romans chapter 2. I've got a couple passages that I want you to look at with me here in this, in this point for just a minute. But Romans chapter 2 and verse number 1. Think about the words. Paul is writing this, obviously. But think about the, the I don't know if harshness is the right word, but the, the gravity of the words that Paul is saying and writing here in, in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 1. Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest, do it the same things. 
But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? What he's saying is, you're judging other people and you're doing the same thing, not realizing that what God is doing is using that to draw you to himself. And he says this in, in verse number four, despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? There's a lot of people who, who say, well, God did that in my life, so I must be saved. God's blessing me, so it must be that I'm saved. No, God, God does things in our lives to draw us to himself. Hey, that's, that's, why, you know, there, that's why there are millionaires and billionaires out there who have no semblance of Christianity who are living, quote unquote, a good life. God hasn't dropped the bomb on their property and blew their whole house up. God hasn't made their business tank and, and, and now they're bankrupt, right? God allows some of those things to go on, but that's not because they're his children. It's not because they're saved. It's not because he's blessing them. It's because he's using the goodness of God to draw them to repentance. And so many times, especially in a lot of religions around the world, that's confused with salvation. Well, God's blessing me, so it must be that I'm saved. It must be that I'm doing everything the way that God wants. Not necessarily. It's just that God's good. And his mercy is what's drawing us and leading us to that repentance. Thank God for his mercy towards you. The songwriter said, I should have been crucified. I should have been the one who suffered and died. I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's son, took my place. That's mercy. We ought not to despise the mercy of God. Turn over to James chapter 2, because genuine faith will move us into action for God. If we truly are saved, then we're truly going to have a heart and desire to live for God. When we're merciful to others in this instance, God will be merciful to you. There's going to be fruits that are meet or fit for repentance, as the Bible says. But James chapter 2 and verse number 13 says this, For he shall have judgment without mercy, that hath showed no mercy. And mercy rejoiceth against judgment. You want, you, you want God's mercy on you? Show mercy to others. Verse, verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. What he's saying is, if you truly are saved, if you truly have that faith in Jesus Christ, then your works are going to follow. They're going to show that you have that faith in Jesus Christ. God requires us to do justly, to love mercy, but lastly, he requires us to walk humbly with our God. Walk humbly with your God, he says. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, to walk humbly with your God, you have to admit that you're a sinner. And that's what most people in this world today are not willing to admit. Well, I've, uh, I've, I'm a pretty good person. Why did Jesus die on the cross then if you're a pretty good person? He died on the cross because we're sinners and we need a Savior. You have to submit to be saved by his free mercy. We already said that no kind of offering or sacrifice is going to work to pay for his grace. They offered all kinds of stuff. Hey, here's piles of money. Here's rivers of, of oil. Here's our, here's our kids. 
Won't you take that as, as, as the, the payment for my sin? Won't you take that? No, I don't want that. I want you. I want your heart. Without that humility of soul, there never was and there never can be any walking with God. He has to be your Savior. And he has to be your God before you can walk with him. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. To walk humbly with your God, you have to do what his word says. James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Well, I sit in church every week. I hear what he says. Isn't that doing justly? Isn't that loving mercy? Isn't that walking with God? I'm reading the Bible. Isn't that, isn't that walking with God? No, that's hearing it. Walking with God is doing it. Doers of the word and not hearers only. Matthew chapter 7, and I know this is a passage that you're familiar with. We sing this song often with the kids, and they grow up in Sunday school listening to this, uh, this idea. But it's found here in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. How do we know how to walk with God? We read his word. Walking humbly means we do it. We can read all day. There's many people who are unsaved that have read the word of God. There's many people who, who, are, who are unsaved and who are not walking with God who have sat in church their entire lives. That's not what makes you a good Christian. That's not what makes you or allows you to walk humbly with your God. Walking humbly with your God is doing the things that we hear, obeying what we find in the word of God. Don't try to figure out how his word doesn't apply to you. A wise man is going to hear the word of God, and he's going to obey it. Well, technically, what this is saying is, and you're trying to get off on a technicality so you don't have to do what the word of God says, right? How many Christians do that in their lives? Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 5 says, A wise man will hear and will increase learning. A man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. You hear it, you do it. You don't hear it. Try to find a loophole so that you can get out of it and then not do it because you found a loophole. You hear it and you do it. You obey what the word of God says. Sometimes his word is going to tell us to do things that we think are too hard or they're outdated or people just don't do that anymore. Or people just don't believe that anymore. If it's in the word of God, we ought to do it. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto what? Thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That own understanding is what gets us off so many times. Well, to me, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if it makes sense to you. What does the word of God say? Well, people just, doesn't matter what people just, what does the word of God say? That's what we ought to be following. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. What does he tell us to do? Quickly, I want to look at five things very quickly. Number one, he tells us to pray. Turn, with, turn to these passages with me, if you will. Luke chapter 11. How do we walk humbly with our God? We do the things that God tells us to do. What does he tell us to do? Number one, to pray. Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. If ye, then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Boy, we could take a long time. We could preach a message on each one of these points. I'm not going to do that this morning. I, I want to just give you a few things that I ho hopefully will help you 
to do those things where we can walk humbly with our God. Number two is this, study his word. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know why people get off? You know why people come up with weird doctrines? You know why people get away from the word of God? Because they're not in the word of God. They're not rightly dividing the word of truth because they don't know what the word of truth says. They read a verse and they say, oh, that makes sense. Oh, listen to this. And they come up with an entire doctrine on one verse and they're not studied in the rest of the word of God and they don't know what the rest of the word of God says in context and they come up with a weird doctrine. And they get off and then they, they make that weird doctrine their number one thing. That's how a lot of religions have gotten started in the last hundred years. They get off on, the word, on, on, on one verse because they have not studied to show themselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, and they're not rightly dividing the word of truth. You want to walk humbly with your God? You want, to, you want to do it? Study the word of God. Number three, go to church. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Going to church, Billy Sunday said, doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to a garage makes you an automobile. But going to church helps you grow in your Christian life. Doesn't make you a Christian, but it sure can help you in your Christian life. So I, I just read a statement I thought was interesting. Online church is like kissing a picture of your wife. It's just not the same. I'd rather kiss my wife than a picture of my wife, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to church. There's something about being able to gather together. There's something about being able to get with other believers and have that fellowship of other believers who are going in the same direction as you. And we need it. And not just that we need it, but we're commanded. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. This is not the time to go to church less time to go to church more. How many churches have we seen that, well, we used to do Sunday school, and we used to do Sunday morning, and we used to do Sunday night, and we used to do Wednesday night, but, you know, lights are expensive, and we only had two people showing up, so we stopped. Now we just do Sunday morning. And give us a building. We'll use it, right? You're going to use it on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock? We'll trade you. You can have this one. We'll take yours, right? Go to church. It's important. It's necessary. Number three, Luke chapter 14 and verse number 23. The Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. Bring others to church. You know what it means by that? Reach lost souls. Your job is not done because you invited somebody to church. It's, it's a start. Your job is done when you invite them to Christ. And I've said this many times before, but if somebody that you invited comes to church and has never heard the message of the gospel before, then you failed as a Christian. They should have already heard the gospel by the time they got to church because you should have already shared it with them. Your job is not, the Bible doesn't say go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come to church, right? He said compel them to come to Christ. That's what we're trying to do. That's our job. Our job is to share the gospel, not share the church. Share the gospel. Bring others. Number five, we find this in Luke chapter six. You can turn over there. There's many, many more things that we could add to these, but, but these are, Five pillars, I guess you could say. Give. Give. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, 
running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. That's how they used to measure things back in the day. It wasn't necessarily done by pounds or whatever. It was a container. And, you know, uh, you could, if, if, you, if, if you were to ask a kid to put a, as many Tootsie Rolls as he could fit into a container, he's not going to take a handful and, oh, one fell out over the edge, so that's full. Well, what's a kid going to do? Push it down, get more in there, push it down, get more in there, push it down. And he's going to heap it up, and he's going to walk out like this, balancing it to make sure none of them fall out, right? That's how God gives to us when we give to him. He doesn't say, okay, here's your cup you gave to me. No, God says, press it down, put some more in there, press it down, put some more. Hold it tight. Walk slowly because it's going gonna, it's gonna to run over if you don't, right? That's how, that's how God is to us. Why can't we be that way with him? Give. You'll never outgive God. You'll never be able to outgive God. God doesn't need your money. You need to give to God so that God can bless you because you gave to him. That's the way that God works. What a tremendous, tremendous principle that is. Doing justly requires works. Loving mercy requires faith and works. Walking humbly with God requires faith. But they all go hand in hand. Faith without works is dead. We need the works. We need the faith and works, but we need the faith. An old Scotsman had this little rowboat that he operated for transporting passengers. And one day, a passenger noticed that this old man had a carving on one oar that said works. And on the other oar, he had a little carving that said faith. And this guy got in the boat, and he noticed that almost instantly. And so he asked this old man, he said, what does that mean? And, of course, the, the guy had done it, hoping that people would ask. And so he said, let me, let me give you an example. And so he dropped the oar that said faith, and he started rowing with the oar that said works, and they just went in circles. And he dropped that, that oar that said works, and he picked up the oar that said faith, and he started rowing, and they just went in circles the other way. Then he picked them both up, and he started rowing together, and he said, when faith and works work together, you go forward in the, in the right direction. And that's exactly what God is expecting. You, you, you need the works. Works don't save us. Doing, doing all these good things is not going to get us any closer to heaven. But without works, faith is, is dead. And without faith, works is dead. We need them both. Having God's blessing is not difficult. He makes it easy. It's not something that we can buy. It's not something that we can earn, thankfully, because how do you ever have enough money to buy it? How do you ever have enough good to earn it? I'm glad it's not based on those things. He says we have to do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God. So having God's blessing or not is up to you. God wants to bless us, oh man. God wants to bless us individually. But you have to make the choice. Are you willing to give God your life with no holds barred? God wants to bless your family, but are, are you willing to make that choice? God wants to bless his church, but are you willing to make that choice? God wants to bless our nation, but we have to make that choice. Will you make that choice to follow God today? Do justice, works. Love mercy, faith and works. Walk humbly with thy God. Faith. They work hand in hand. What does the Lord require of thee? Oh, give a mountain of gold. Give, give rivers of oil. Give your firstborn. Buy all these things from God. Get his favor. Do all of these other things. No, no. He's already told you what you need to do. Do justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly with your God. Are you going to do that? Are you willing to do that? And if not, the choice is yours. We have to decide.
Let's pray. Father, we love you. Give me thank you for your goodness. Thank you for an opportunity to share your word this morning. I pray that you would use it in our hearts to help us be what you need us to be so that we can see your blessing. We don't do it just to get the blessing, but what a tremendous benefit it is to have the blessing of God in our lives. And I don't believe that God would use his blessing as a motivator if he didn't want us to be motivated by his blessings. So God, I pray that you'd help us to live for you, to love you, to give our hearts to you, love you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, our body, everything that we have. We owe it all to you, Lord. All we have is yours. I pray that you'd help us to live like it and to love you like it and to serve you like it all belongs to you. Thank you for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand at your seats with your head.